Hurricanes are an all-too-familiar natural phenomenon to those of us who live on the East Coast or the Gulf Coast of the U.S. And actually, before moving to North Carolina, I lived in New Jersey where we were hit by Hurricane Sandy and Irene during my college years. And during those hurricanes, we had to evacuate our dorms in the middle of the night. Um, oh, my gosh. Sorry, that, was, that was only during one of them, not both of them. I think it was Irene we had to evacuate. Yeah. That would be terrifying. It was, so it was pretty bad. Um, but, you know, worse than those hurricanes in my college years is probably Floyd was the worst one that I can remember in my lifetime. I think that hit in 95. And I remember that it flooded the basement in my home, which was, you know, not even the worst kind of destruction that hurricanes can cause. That That's mild compared to what other people had to deal with. But in my five years living in North Carolina, hurricanes have hit our state almost every year. And Emma, you're a North Carolina native, so what's your experience with hurricanes been? Yeah, Rachel, I definitely definitely remember many years where we would kind of hunker down for the hurricanes coming in. And I don't remember any specific ones off the top of my head. I know a lot of people talk about Hurricane Fran. Uh, that mm. was before my time, before I was born in North Carolina. But it's been interesting in grad school because there were a few hurricanes. I think Hurricane Matthew was the most recent one where we had to make plans for the lab, ensure that our mice would be okay, and like move our computers to a middle room and take all our lab documentation. Like We were really worried about this hurricane potentially affecting lab work. And I know my boss, she worked in Baylor College of Medicine down in Texas. And one year they got a hurricane and it completely destroyed their whole mouse facility in like years and years wow. and millions of dollars of research. I hadn't even thought about how that would affect the lab potentially. Um, you know, I've always been like hunkering down in my house and, and have not really experienced a ton of hurricanes. And Although I guess Florence was a little scary during grad school for a moment because it looked like the eye was going to go straight to Raleigh. <laughs> <laughs> so, of course, beyond the East Coast where Emma and I live, hurricanes are will often threaten the Gulf Coast. And as we're recording this, Hurricane Delta is approaching the Gulf Coast. Um, it's 24 hours out right now. So we all remember, of course, also the devastation and destruction um, that's been caused by storms in the past, like Hurricane Katrina. And beyond the U.S., hurricanes also affect regions across the globe, such as Typhoon Haitian, which struck South Korea and Japan earlier in September this year. As we near the end of the 2020 hurricane season, we wanted to delve into the science behind hurricanes and why they form. Twenty twenty has been well. It's it's been quite a year to say the least. <laughs> um, but in terms of hurricanes, twenty twenty has been one of the worst years on record for hurricanes. In fact, you may be familiar with the practice of hurricanes and tropical storms being given names such as Sandy, Floyd, Matthew, etc. This starts at the beginning of the alphabet with A every year for these hurricane names. Well, this year, there were so many hurricanes in typical 2020 fashion and tropical storms that we ran out of letters in the alphabet. As we wrote notes for this episode early in October, the hurricane names had moved on to the Greek alphabet using just the letters, and we were on the letter gamma. 
Actually, we're on Delta now. (laughs) (laughs) And we are currently on the letter Delta. The last time we had to resort to the Greek alphabet was 2005. So you may wonder why hurricanes are even given names in the first place. I mean, it does seem kind of inappropriate for something that causes so much death and destruction to be like given this cute little name. But this wasn't always the practice. So up until the 1950s, hurricanes were identified only by the calendar year and the order in which they were identified. So that would be like 2021, 2022, etc. As you can imagine, this identification system could get pretty confusing, especially when two or more storms originated around the same time. To avoid mixing up the different storm systems, in 1953, the U.S. started giving storms names to identify them. And I found it was pretty interesting when I was doing the research for this that uh, when they first started giving the names, they only gave the storms female names. What are they trying to say about women? That we caused destruction? Yeah, I object. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So not until 1979 were the storms given both male and female names. The World Meteorological Organization maintained six different lists of names that repeat every six years. This organization retires names if there is a hurricane that is particularly devastating, such as Hurricanes Katrina or Maria, which were women names, which is kind of funny. (laughs) (laughs) To understand why this hurricane season is so severe that we ran out of names, we first need to know a little bit more about the basics of how hurricanes form. Hurricanes, cyclones, and typhoons are the same type of storm, a tropical cyclone. However, depending on where they form, they are given different names. Tropical cyclones are called hurricanes when they form over the Atlantic and Pacific Oceans, typhoons when they form over the Western North Pacific, and cyclones when they form over the South Pacific or Indian Oceans. Tropical cyclones form over warm ocean waters. This warmth is their primary power source, which is why they only originate near the equator in tropical regions where the water is at least 80 degrees Fahrenheit. In these warm waters, evaporation creates warm, moist air over the ocean's surface. Most of us are familiar with the principle that warm air rises. In fact, I'm very aware of this, seeing as the vents in my apartment are located on the ceilings, which, you know, works out in the summertime, but is not a very effective heating method in the winter, as you can imagine. Uh, We're very lucky that we live on the second story, so sometimes we get to, like, suck in the heat from the apartment below us. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, anyways, all this to say that just like warm air rises in our houses, to our delight or chagrin, Warm, moist air over the tropical ocean waters also rises, and this migration of warm air up and away from the surface of the water leaves less air, creating a region of low pressure at the surface. This low pressure region creates a gap, and cooler air from neighboring water rushes in to fill this gap. However, this new air quickly warms up in its new environment and also rises. This creates a constant flow of warm, moist air rising and cooler air rushing in from the sides towards the low-pressure gap. While all of this is going on at the surface of the water, you may wonder what happens to this continually hot rising air. The higher the air rises, the lower the temperature gets, and the warm, moist air begins to cool and condense to form clouds. So at this point, these storms are basically the same as thunderstorms. To advance beyond a thunderstorm, another key ingredient for hurricanes is wind. 
In the U.S., westward moving winds from Africa are the main source for the hurricanes that form over the Atlantic. While the warm air is rising, winds begin blowing in a circle around the low-pressure region, which will eventually become the eye of the storm. I saw a meme that talked about we want the rains to stop in Africa from the Toto song so that we won't have as many hurricanes form. (laughs) You may have heard the term eye of the storm. This eye of a hurricane is located at the center. In the eye, it's relatively calm and winds are low. However, the eye wall, which surrounds the eye, has the harshest and most dangerous winds. Tropical storms are categorized in different stages based on the speed of the winds that circulate the eye. When winds reach 74 miles per hour, these storms are officially classified as hurricanes. There are five categories of hurricanes based on wind speed, and the fifth category has a speed around the eye of 157 miles per hour or more. That's kind of crazy to imagine. Even even 74 miles per hour, like you think about how fast you are going in a car on the highway if you're speeding, maybe sometimes I do that. <laughs> <laughs> nah. Storms that form north of the equator spin counterclockwise, and storms that form south of the equator spin clockwise, and this is because of something called the Coriolis effect. The Coriolis effect is a phenomenon that causes fluids like water in the air to curve as they travel across or above the Earth's surface. This is caused by the Earth's rotation on its axis. We know the Earth is constantly spinning on its axis from west to east. However, because Earth is a sphere and is wider at the equator than at the poles, the points on the equator actually have to move faster than the points at the poles. Because of these differences in speeds at different latitudes, airs or fluids moving away from or towards the equator will maintain their momentum and curve. Are you saying that parts of the Earth move at different speeds? Yes. So if I was in Texas, I'd be moving at a different speed than like the North Pole? Yeah, exactly. In fact, people in Texas right now are moving faster than we are. Man, that's crazy. If this is confusing to you, you're not alone. Rachel and I watched a very helpful video, which we will link in the show notes. And this video explained the Coriolis effect and was from the National Geographic. To illustrate the Coriolis effect, in the video they asked you to imagine that you're standing in Texas with a magical paper airplane that can travel hundreds of miles. If you throw the airplane directly north, you might expect that it would land somewhere north of Texas, such as Nebraska. However, because Texas is closer to the equator, the paper airplane will be rotating faster than the northern U.S. So in reality, this magic paper airplane would keep its momentum and curve to the east, probably landing towards the east coast. Another way to think about this is if our Earth was flat, there would not be any difference in wind speed across the different parts of the Earth. So you could actually throw the paper airplane north and it would land north. But since we have this curve of the Earth and we have the rotation of the Earth upon its axis, you have this phenomenon. Hopefully this makes sense why the hurricane winds curve counterclockwise. The air rushing to fill that low-pressure area follows the same Coriolis effect as the paper airplane in our example. Um, But just like the airplane, that air is going to curve in towards the center of the eye. So in the northern hemisphere, air rushing in from the south of the eye would be moving faster and curve east, um, while air rushing in from the north of the eye would be slower and curve west. 
In the southern hemisphere, it's the exact opposite. The Coriolis effect is another key ingredient because hurricanes cannot form within 300 miles of the equator. For those of you visual learners, you can think about this. If you have, if you're looking at the hurricane eye, all the winds want to come in and go straight into the eye because it's that low pressure area. But because of the Coriolis effect, it causes those winds to shift and then curve around each other, which is why we get rotation in the hurricane. If the wind was able to go fill the low pressure area without the Coriolis effect, you would just not even have any rotation of the hurricane. But it's because of the earth and the way the earth is shaped that we have that rotation happening with hurricanes. So knowing how hurricanes form, why is it that they only seem to form in the Atlantic from June to November? That has to do with seasonal changes in two of the main hurricane ingredients, water warmth and wind. Or water war, water warmth, if you are not from <laughs> New Jersey. <laughs> of course, it makes sense that water temperatures in the northern hemisphere rise in the summer. But what changes with the wind? During this time, there's a drop in wind shear. Wind shear means that there is a variation in the speed and direction of the wind. And a high wind shear can prevent the formation of organized wind patterns like what we see in hurricanes. Kind of where we mentioned before, the winds coming from Africa, they, at a certain time of the year, they have a lower wind shear, which is why we have hurricanes form. Is that correct? Based off of what we know? Um, yes. Okay. Yeah, the drop in wind shear um, allows it to like get that ordered structure versus if the wind is moving in every, you know, it's more likely to be moving in these random directions, then it's harder to coordinate that rotational movement is how I think about it. Um, I could be wrong. It makes sense to me. <laughs> anyway, if any of you guys know more about wind shear than we do, please correct us. <laughs> Of course, we would be remiss if we didn't bring up the argument that many scientists say hurricane seasons are getting progressively worse because of the rising ocean temperatures due to climate change, an important topic that we promise we will cover in a future episode. (laughs) 